Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Yes, it's another episode of our new Monday night, Tuesday morning show, breaking down the news that came out on Monday. And this week, more importantly and more significantly, the two Monday night games, which for the second week in a row, last week we had Bengals and Jags, didn't expect a very close contest. I mean, got not just a close contest, but an upset victory this Monday, even bigger, a pair of upsets, last second comebacks for both teams uh, with Tennessee beating Miami, the Giants upsetting the Packers. Joining me to talk about those games, someone who was at Bengals Jags last week, someone I'm very excited to have on, talk about the NFL. It's our Bengals correspondent for ESPN, Mr. Ben Baby. Ben, very exciting pair of Monday night games. Yeah, Bill, like you said, I was at that game last Monday, was not expecting a uh, very exciting game. We ended up getting a overtime game. And then tonight, you know, you look at the lines and, and kind of the, the matchups. And we, we thought that this also may be a, a bit unappealing. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I spent the night watching uh, Packers and Giants and it was very <laughs> unappealing up until uh, the last couple of minutes or so that involved uh, some very unique uh, turn of events. And then, you know, we had a, an insane finish as well in that Tennessee Packers game, uh, you know, a kind of a historic thing uh, this century that we'll get to a little bit later, but yeah, what a, for the second straight week, Monday night delivers in uh, the coffee I made earlier uh, was not needed because there was enough adrenaline. <laughs> in Just sheer energy coursing through Ben baby's bones, football vibes coursing through. It, it was, it was really interesting because it felt like, Giants Packers was a not the most well played game for the entirety of the game, but it felt like it was at least close for the vast majority of the contest. I'll admit, like once Dolphins and Titans got to a two touchdown lead, where it looked like Tennessee was just sort of actively trying to throw the game, where they uh, they turned the ball over twice deep in their own territory, once on an inexplicable decision to try and field a punt within the five-yard limit, two players right on you, which led to a short field for one Dolphins touchdown. And then Derrick Henry fumbled a pitch, and the Dolphins recovered for a second short field and a second Raheem Mostert touchdown in one minute of football. It was 27-13. I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to focus more on Giants-Packers as we finish up here because Tennessee's not driving the length of the field twice without a Dolphins, you know, drive in between to not only come back, but win the game in regulation. Mike Frabel, maybe the new king of the nerds, going for two down eight, they get the two-pointer, and they win in regulation. So let's start with this one just because it ended a little later, so it's a little fresher, at least in my mind. Um, This really felt like a game that was influenced by injuries on the Dolphins' side of the ball. So... They did not have Toronto Armstead, not have Robert Hunt up front. They lost Connor Williams uh, at center early in this game, which so you're down three starting offensive linemen. I think it impacted some of the choices the Dolphins made, especially in the red zone in this game. But then the the bigger injury for the Dolphins in this game, and one that really influenced, I think, how we saw Tennessee play them in coverage was Tyreek Hill, who suffered a a lower leg injury on a tackle by Sean Murphy Bunting, who was a key player in this game. Um, Tyreek Hill left. He was on the sideline for a bit with no helmet on. At halftime, he was in the the locker room for a bit, comes back out without his ankle taped. Without his helmet, looks like he might be done. Then he comes back in the game, has a couple catches, um, and then the Dolphins kind of put him back on ice. They brought him back for that final drive, but it felt like it was touch and go. And, And I think we saw... A Dolphins offense that admittedly did not look the same without those three offensive linemen, but especially without Tyreek Hill. Yeah, Bill, you know, when you look at it, you know, you, 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 there's a lot of conversation about whether Tyreek Hill belongs in the MVP conversation. And, you know, you make of that what you will. But, you know, having mm-hmm. a guy like that in your offense, it's a prime example of why Miami went and got him in the first place. And, you know, we see the discourse around Kansas City this year uh, and the uh, the lack of receiving help that Patrick Mahomes <laughs> had over the course of, of, the, of the season. And, 
you know, Tyree Kill is a, you know, when you have that type of receiver that, you know, a really special player, he, he does add such a unique dynamic uh, to this offense. And, you know, looking at this game, you know, I think that the fact that Miami was still able to take a multiple touchdown lead late into the game, you know, I think you've got to give the Dolphins credit for being able to do what they needed to do offensively. But for this lead to kind of almost inexplicably fall apart at the mm-hmm. end there was quite mind-boggling, especially to this Tennessee offense. Uh, you know, looking at it, you know, our folks at ESPN uh, Stats and Information pulled this stat and the, the Titans are the fifth team since 2000 to win a game after trailing by 14 or more points in the final three minutes and the uh, first team to do that in regulation. Uh, That is just, uh, that is an insane stat. So you talk about the amount of, you know, pieces that were banged up or missing offensively and Miami was still in a position to win the game. And if there's anything that we've learned from Monday night football over the last couple of weeks, is that a, nobody really wants to take the reins and be the number one seed in the AFC <laughs> uh, because Jacksonville had a clear opportunity to do so. Uh, they lose a the game to the Bengals at home. I believe Miami had a shot as well to do that tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also did not do that. So Baltimore is sitting pretty in that number one seed. So it also goes to show how wild uh, the AFC has been this year. Yeah. And the, I don't know if the chiefs would have been the number one seed. I think they would have been a game behind, but the chiefs lost an opportunity to gain on everyone besides the Ravens and they lost to the bills who now suddenly the bills not about sitting pretty, but felt like they were basically out of the playoff picture this time last week. And now suddenly they beat the doll or they beat the, um, beat the chiefs, which is a, obviously a huge victory for them. The dolphins lose. Um, the bills are still behind in the AFC East race, but a couple of the wild card teams also lost bills are suddenly right in the thick of things and back in the playoff picture in the AFC after this the the series of results we saw this weekend and I'll ask you Ben in terms of how the Dolphins lost this game because again they get handed two short fields by Tennessee mistakes they got a pick six earlier in the game when Will Levis decided to throw a screen directly to Zach Sealer of the Miami Dolphins. This was not a game where a lot of breaks went against the Dolphins. If anything, the Dolphins had a lot of breaks go their way in this game. And yet, even without John Holland, which does matter, but with uh, Jalen Ramsey, with Savian Howard, with Kadir Kohu, with their three best cornerbacks on the field, with Bradley Chubb, um, with a pick six, with those short fields, the Dolphins could not stop the Tennessee passing attack late in this game. We saw DeAndre Hopkins get open multiple times for big gains, including I think a 37-yarder on that final drive to set up the uh, get, get Tennessee on Miami's side of the field. We saw Tajay Spears um, have 89 receiving yards in this game with Tennessee attacking the linebackers and safeties of the Dolphins in coverage. And I, I, I think the Dolphins can be a complete team, Ben, but... This really felt like a game where it was handed to them on a platter. This would have been a game that I think a lot of good teams would say we should win if we're getting two short fields and a pick six. And yet the Dolphins managed to find a way to lose this game. Does that make you feel concerned about their ability to hold up against the top teams in football? Absolutely, Bill. And I think one of the reasons why you have these concerns about Miami specifically is that when you look at the quality of wins that they've had over the course of the season, I think you look at their strength of victory and it's Mm -hmm. something that has been a a topic of concern when you look at what they did at the beginning of the year. And as good as their record looked, you really wanted to look at their schedule and go, well, what kind of teams are they beating? And like Mm -hmm. you said, this was, you know, on a platter for them to win. Granted, you know, all the injuries aside, you know, Will Levis in the final 434 of this game, Bill, they, they he went 9 of 11 passing, 132 mm-hmm. yards, one touchdown. Like you said, leaned on DeAndre Hopkins. He was 3 of mm-hmm. 3 when targeting Hopkins for 45 yards and a touchdown. You know, quite frankly, if you're a championship contender, you cannot let a rookie quarterback do that to you. Uh, that is just, that is not going to work, you know, moving forward. And, and I, I think that that's something that, you know, Miami, you've got to, championship teams have to be able to close out bad opponents and really take advantage 
of winning positions. And I think uh, to, to essentially bottle it, I know to use a, use a phrase from a <laughs> across the pond, they essentially bottled this one. You cannot have that happen if you want to make a deep run into the postseason. So I, I am definitely concerned and not just because of this, but because of kind of what we've seen from them over the course of the year. And it mm-hmm. does add kind of to the question marks that we have about this Miami team this season. Yeah, and what I think the big difference between this year's team and last year's team was supposed to be was uh, the defense. It was supposed to be, okay, we got Vic Fangio in here. We we, we added Jalen Ramsey, even though Jalen Ramsey missed most of the year. They had been one of the best pass defenses in all of football since Ramsey returned. Admittedly, not against the stiffest competition. They played the Chiefs, but uh, the Raiders, the Jets, the Commanders, not expecting those teams to score a ton of points. But I think this has to be concerning because – their best case for being the best team in the AFC was we have top five upside on both sides of the football. The Chiefs, admittedly, right now do not look like they have that. The Bills do not look like they have that. The Ravens, I I would say they do have that. But the the ticket for admission to me, if you're going to be the team that comes out of the AFC, is we can dominate you with our offense or with our defense. And if we get both going at the same time, were absolutely devastating and this was the sort of game where it's not like they you know lost to one of the best passing attacks in football well levis has not been good for a month now and the dolphins let them march up and down the field they sacked him once this entire game on i believe 39 dropbacks for will levis whereas Tua Tango Violoa, again playing with multiple missing starting offensive linemen was sacked five times on 38 dropbacks the dolphins uh, there was steady pressure on Tua throughout this game by Tennessee. Harold Landry had a monster game. I think he had three sacks in this game, if I'm not mistaken. He had three sacks, five knockdowns, including a couple of hits on that final sequence for the Dolphins when they were trying to get in field goal range. And I, I really feel like from from the Dolphins' perspective in this game, on, on, on defense, they didn't seem to have answers. You know, it felt like, as the game wore on, DeAndre Hopkins was getting open. You know, they, they were able to come up with some big plays. I, I don't know that Vic Fangio is such a genius that he was able to position a defensive lineman directly in the line of, of, of fire for a screen to take that to the house. <laughs> and, you know, to get Derrick Henry to drop a pitch when Derrick Henry does really not fumble very often. Like, those are fortuitous plays to me, not plays that come from a great defense, just good luck and being in the right place at the right time. Um but on the whole, the Tennessee was able to do what they wanted, especially in the passing game of all things on offense in this game. So to me, that that's my big takeaway. My big concern is you have to be great on defense because you can't count on the offense being as dominant as it has it's been in this best this year. And when the offense was limited in this game because of Tyree Kill, because of some inefficiency in the red zone, because they didn't they seem like they were confident running the ball in short yardage inside the red zone. The defense was not able to hold up and win this game for Miami. Yeah, you know, Bill, I, I think that's right on the nose. And, you know, I dug into the next gen numbers just a little bit. Uh, and I think what's, I don't know what's more surprising here is that Xavier Howard was targeted 11 times, which is mm-hmm. a staggering amount for a cornerback. The fact they went after him that much, yeah. a guy of his caliber, or the fact that his uh, catch allowed over expectation when he was the nearest defender was 8.2%. I think when he was targeted, mm-hmm as the nearest defender, the the Titans racked up 129 receiving yards. Now, granted, they went after him a ton, uh, but, you know, when you look at the Jalen Ramsey numbers as well, you know, he was only targeted three times as nearest defender, had two catches. Uh, You know, it's Mm -hmm. you need your top players to play like top players. Uh, and, and when you look at what they've done defensively and how they've built that defense, when you go and you pay Xavier Howard what you paid him, when you go get Jalen Ramsey, you are hoping that those guys can be solid defenders and really be difference makers. And what mm-hmm. we're seeing across, you know, across good teams, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is that you need your cornerbacks to be able to either take receivers away and mm-hmm. really disrupt the passing game in a lot of different ways. We've seen, you know, watching what the Bengals have done over the last couple of years, I know that Joe Burrow gets a lot 
of the accolades and a lot of the attention. Mm-hmm. And, and But that defense and Lou Anarumo's unit has really done a good job. And when you look at what uh, they've been able to do, especially in that secondary, it's a big reason why they've made runs back-to-back years. And you need your top mm-hmm. players to be able to, to come up with game-winning performances and really play up to the caliber of what they're expected to be. And, you know, those numbers are a little bit concerning. And, and like you said, you need that defense to, to be at that top level. And I, I think that's definitely valid points about Miami. You brought up the the targeting of Xavier Howard, and it was very clear that Tennessee did not want to throw Jalen Ramsey's way unless it was absolutely necessary. They really went after Xavier Howard, which I think tells you how good Jalen Ramsey is, but also was a very clear point from the Tennessee game plan and seemed to work. And, and when you flip it to the other side of the field, this was the Sean Murphy bunting game for the Miami Dolphins where they wanted to throw. It felt like, gosh, I mean, every single series, every single third down for a majority of this game, Miami threw to Sean Murphy bunting side of the field, had some success, almost hit Devin A. Chan for a long touchdown past him. Uh, Devin A. Chan slowed down, Sean Murphy bunting kind of hit him a little bit as he went by and disrupted the timing just enough to prevent A. Chan from taking another deep pass to the house but you know it, it really felt like the Dolphins had a a clear game plan and then when Tyreek Hill got went down and was missing for chunks of this game did not have the ability to really execute that game plan without Hill on the field and you mentioned the MVP thing and, and I think you know there, there's definitely gonna be plenty of arguments for for Tyreek Hill being an MVP candidate, especially if he does get to 2,000 yards. But from your perspective, Ben, when you think about this Dolphins offense, we don't know what Hill's injury is. I, the fact that he was able to come back makes me think that it's not too serious. But you've seen Hill go down with knee injuries, I believe. Um, he's had different nagging injuries over the course of this season that have slowed him down and caused him to sit for stretches, if not miss games altogether. But are you skeptical? I think is the word I want to use. Are you skeptical that the Dolphins will be able to thrive on offense without Tyreek Hill not just being present, but being the sort of guy who can play 90% of the snaps into December and into January, into the postseason? Yeah, I think thrive is a really good word to use there because ultimately that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for exceptional offensive play in I, I do have concerns, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical if he is not on the field, you know, you look at what they have. I've been a big fan of Jalen Waddle ever since he was a high school recruit coming out of the greater Houston area of known mm. guys who have uh, followed his career. think he is, is really electric, really can be a dynamic receiver uh, known of Devon Achan as well, who uh, ended up playing at Texas A&M uh, side note. I was among the many people who was very surprised to figure out that we had been mispronouncing his last name for several years. <laughs> and I just wonder, could Jimbo Fisher not pronounce A-chan and had to say it A-chan? And because I wonder if this was just kind of the, uh, we're just going to acquiesce to Jimbo and not go ahead and correct him on this. Uh, I'm very, I would, that was one of the most jarring storylines of the year that, that De- Devon A-chan comes out and says, hey guys, uh, can we pronounce my last name this way? That'd be great. Uh, and, you know, A-chan's been dealing with injury issues as well. And, and yep. I thought he started to really come into his own. And when you look at what Miami does offensively, I really like what Mike McDaniel does. And you look at uh, how much motion they use, how much they're able to scheme guys open, I think is is phenomenal. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that is, you know, when you a defense does not have to worry about Tyreek Hill really being the difference maker on the field, you're able to divert defensive resources to other parts of the field. And I, I think you need to have him not only, like you said, be on the field, but really be somebody who, who scares defenses and mm-hmm. is allowed to, you're able to give other guys space. You're able to give your Cedric Wilsons, your Braxton Berrioses, you're able to create more space uh, in the running game as well. Uh, and I think that's what Miami is really underrated at when you look at what they've done, you know, is using that space. Mm-hmm so effectively all across the field. So I do, I am skeptical, I should say, about this offense if Tyreek isn't able to be at 100%. Yeah, I really believe you saw when Tyreek was out during this game, there wasn't the same sort of space that you're mentioning here. They were able to create some space on the edges and the flats, 
Um, we saw a lot of, you know, horizontal movement with A-Chan with Mostert. Um, a, a lot of, you know, pin-pull stuff, a lot of stuff outside where, you know, you're sort of racing linebackers to the edge and you're sort of trusting that you have faster guys there. But in terms of the downfield passing attack, in terms of, you know, those those dig routes, those in-breakers, the stuff that you see week after week when this offense is humming where guys are just wide open and Tyreek Hill has nobody within five yards of him wasn't there. wasn't there very often at the very least. And when Tyreek Hill did come back in, we started to see that space pop up again. And it, it really is a testament to, you know, the, the the difference he just physically makes in terms of his impact. And I... I Again, I think all the things you said are correct. I think Mike McDaniel is very, very good at, at scheming stuff up. I think the other players on this offense are really exciting, but it, it, it's different with with Tyreek on the field versus Tyreek off the field. I know um, uh, our colleague Marcel Louis Jacques had some numbers where I think they had like a 70% pressure rate in the first half without Tyreek on the field. Just don't think there was the same concern about sending extra rushers, about, you know, uh, clock, clocking the line of scrimmage, about, you know, getting beat deep and. We'll see. I mean, hopefully Tyreek Hill is healthy. Hopefully he did not suffer a injury that's going to cost him to miss cost him to miss significant time. But as the Dolphins come down the stretch here, I mean, it's going to have to be all hands on deck. They're going to be a playoff team, but they're now a game ahead of the Bills with that Week 18 rematch coming up. The Dolphins they play the Jets next week. Hey, the Jets just won. I mean, the Jets are not you know not pushovers. By any means, especially if their offense does look the way it did in the second half of last week, but they get the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills to finish up. I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you may look back and rue this one because it's going to be tough to count on winning all four of their final games and and ending up with the, the top seed in the AFC. Yeah, you know, and I think if you're a a Dolphins fan or really anybody outside of Baltimore, you have to find a lot of solace in that that. Every team really outside of the Ravens from what I've seen this year, there, there are a lot of big flaws and even Baltimore. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens with them moving forward. But, you know, I, I am, it's been very interesting to see kind of the middle of this AFC be so congested all throughout mm-hmm. the year. And, and, you know, you know, teams that haven't looked great, like Buffalo, a team that we thought was going to be really out of probably AFC contention. Now they're right back in the thick of it. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they're playing pretty well. And, and, and you look at this and, and like you said, Miami, you had Miami had a chance to really pick up a good, a win against a bad Tennessee team and mm-hmm. just were unable to do it. And those are the kind of things that you're going to be thinking about if you're a Dolphins fan, or if you're in that building, if you do end up with a tough matchup in that first round, or you want home field in this AFC race. And, and I think that, you know, these are the ty- type of games that you need to be able to put away and in the type of AFC season that we're having, you know, every one of these games definitely counts because there's just so much at stake with so many teams uh, neck and neck. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Now, flip it to the other side of, uh, of the Monday Night Football coin. Kind of felt like we were all getting on the Packers bandwagon. Uh, they win three straight. They beat the Lions on Thanksgiving. They beat the Chiefs last week in primetime on Sunday Night Football. Everyone is loving what Jordan Love's doing. He has great numbers. He's on fire. Looks like Matt LaFleur has found his quarterback. Packers have a really, really, you know, relatively easy schedule to finish up. 
looks like they're going to comfortably beat the Giants on Monday Night Football. And that did not happen. That absolutely did not happen. And it was just a very rough game. And for most of this up until, like I said earlier in the podcast, until the very end, it was comical. Mm -hmm. At one point at the end of the first half, uh, there was a uh, there was a review over a kickoff of whether it had touched somebody before it went out of bounds. And, and Troy Aikman on the broadcast was just so fed up. He was ready to get to halftime. I think he had been sick of the football that he had seen. He, he goes, mm -hmm. it's seen us five seconds. Why is it taking the refs uh, five minutes to go over this? And then uh, Joe Buck chided him and said, Troy, uh, tell us how you really feel. Uh, <laughs> it, it was really that kind of game. I mean, at, at certain points in this game, the best plays were muffed punts. And you know, Matt LaFleur looked really fed up. Uh, the, the Packers offense really struggled to get mm -hmm. any kind of, I mean, both, both teams really struggled to get any kind of rhythm offensively in this game. And, you know, the giants looked like, you know, you know they leaned on Tommy DeVito, uh, his legs, a good amount. Mm -hmm. I know he finished with the line 17 to 21 passing 158 yards and a touchdown, but on the ground, you know, 10 carries for 71 yards. And he was their most, uh, efficient runner for really the bulk mm -hmm. of this game in a, you know, when you look at what the Packers did, you know, three turnovers there, Jordan Love had a, had a bad throw early on. I believe mm -hmm. he had a fumble as well. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and really didn't weren't, weren't, wasn't able to push the ball down the field uh, like you really wanted him to. I believe NFL Next Gen tracked him for uh, three of 10 passing on, on how they track air yards of 10 or more, uh, mm -hmm. which is not great. Uh, and yet they still had a chance to win it at the end. Uh, the game really turned. It was a really odd fumble. Saquon Barkley, who had done, yeah. had done much of nothing uh, up until that game. I think, let me, let me flip through my notes here. I think he was at 14 carries for 25 yards. At one point. And then, you know, has three carries where it looks like the Giants are going to salt the game away here mm -hmm. and breaks down the field on a run that theoretically should, you know, you, you, going to put the Packers away mm -hmm. and he, he, you know, gets contacted to, regains his balance and then falls and drops the ball as he hits the turf, the, the ground <sighs> causes the fumble, but because he regained his balance and was never touched, he was never down. And it ends up becoming just a very bizarre play. It looks like none of the players know what's going on. The, the ball is mm -hmm. recovered. It's, it's taken deep into giants territory. And then, you know, all of a sudden the Packers are, are in a position to win this game, which really mm -hmm. did not look probable. And I think you've got to give for as bad as the offense looked, I think Jordan love does deserve credit for how he looked at the end of this game. You know, he had a couple of big third downs where, where green Bay, you know, like, like had to have a touchdown in order to win this game and Wink Martindale, which is known for, for bringing a ton of pressure, you know, on two third downs when the Packers mm -hmm. really needed it, stuffed the a gap really brought a ton of pressure and forced Jordan love to make the right read. And, and to his credit, he, he had a couple of blitz beaters uh, first to extend the drive. Mm -hmm. And then on a, on a touchdown throw there to, to Malik Heath, who, who made a heck of a catch there. Uh, I mm -hmm. think he, for as bad as he played and that offense looked for him to do what he did late uh, was really impressive. But then, you know, Tommy DeVito, AKA Tommy, Cutler, <laughs> uh, you know, I, and he just did what the giants needed him to do. And, and somehow uh, the legend continues to grow. Yeah, I mean, we, we could talk about Jordan Love, but I'm biased. Let's talk about Tommy DeVito. Let's talk about Tommy Cutlets. Um, it, it It's pretty wild. I mean, this is a guy who, remember, was a third stringer to start the season, was forced into the lineup during the Jets game. The Giants literally would not trust him to throw the football. I mean, they ran the ball. Uh, how many times did Saquon Barkley had 36 carries in that Giants game? Tommy DeVito was two of seven for negative one passing yards in that game against the Jets filling in for Tyrod Taylor. Um, they score six points the following week. It looks like Tommy DeVito was basically, you know, a sub-replacement level quarterback. Uh, not great against the Cowboys, had some garbage time work. Last three weeks, Commanders, Patriots, and now the Packers. Not the best defenses in football, but it, it, if, I, if I told you Daniel Jones was out there secretly playing in a Tommy DeVito uniform, I don't think you would have noticed. On, on Monday night and Tommy DeVito makes a lot less money than what Daniel Jones is getting from the Giants this year like you said 17 to 21 for 158 and a touchdown 10 for 71 on the ground looked just very composed as a runner made smart decisions um fired off a beautiful touchdown pass while scrambling to Isaiah Hodgins um you know it, it, he's obviously 
it's it's a great meme seeing his weird agent in like a full like gangster suit before the game his 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 fan his family giving out food in this you know in the parking lot um it's a great story but like Tommy DeVito is going to have an NFL career he's not going to be a 10-year starter I don't think he has some weaknesses I'm sure he's not making perfect throws missed a couple throws here and there in this game but this was a game where the Giants did not have you know significant advantages at receiver it's not like they have stars they like you said Saquon Barkley eventually ran the ball well for a stretch but it's not like they were dominating running the football like there was a lot on Tommy DeVito's shoulders to create in this game and he did and I think that's a credit to Tommy DeVito for being able to perform this way and I think it's also a credit to Brian Dable and, and that coaching staff, which was much maligned earlier this season, didn't seem to have answers with Daniel Jones. Very easily, the Giants could have quit, given that they started 2-8, and eight, and they had Tommy DeVito as their quarterback for the end of the season. Very little to play for with this team. Giants have won three straight. I, I don't know if it's going to turn into anything. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to compete, really, for a playoff spot. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to Dable and Mike Kafka and that staff for getting this team to play these last few weeks, play at a reasonably high level, and beat a Packers team that just beat, you know, two surefire playoff teams in the Chiefs and the Lions. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really great point, you know, talking about the coaching staff, getting their getting getting a team that really doesn't have a lot to play for, uh, for them to come out and, and have this kind of performance. And I think the thing to note is that, that can have a big carryover effect down the line. You know, when you look at kind of, they have some really mm-hmm. good young stars. I think Kayvon Thibodeau continues to be really good. I, I remember actually the first time I saw Kayvon Thibodeau in the flesh, I was at a, I believe I was covering an AM Bama game in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I ended up lost trying to get into Bryant Denny stadium. And I turn around and there's <laughs> Kayvon Thibodeau and I go, Oh yes. The, uh, the top edge rusher in the country. Yes. He looks good. <laughs> uh, and then I think I saw him at the opening and he continued to also be very good. And uh, mm-hmm. in his second season, and just racking up the sacks. I think that you saw him, you know, really show flashes yeah. again tonight. But you know, this for, to to compete the way they have uh, to show to 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 win these kind of games. This is something for the guys on the roster. This is these are the building blocks that you see moving forward. You know, covering you know this Bengals team. I think one of the more underrated games in this kind of current era is mm-hmm. actually in on was on Monday Night Football in 2020 when the Steelers. Uh, came to town and uh, Ryan Finley was the quarterback who was no longer in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the most memorable play was uh, Von Bell rocking Juju Smith-Schuster over the middle. And mm-hmm. that game really turned the franchise around and really gave them a sense of confidence that you didn't really see and kind of permeated into the 2021 season. And then, you know, you've seen that continue, that level of swagger, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. continue since then. So I think these kind of wins, you know, and and to have these kind of moments late in the season, they can have a big carryover effect. And and Tommy DeVito, like you said, uh, was was impressive. Did what you needed him to do. I believe in the second mm-hmm. half, ten of eleven passing with the only com- incompletion uh, being a throwaway, according to our mm-hmm. folks at ESPN Stats and Info. I thought that that throw, you know, when you look at him having to come back down the field after the Packers go ahead momentum gets away mm-hmm. from you there. I, it looked like a corner route to Wandale Robinson, who, by the way, deserves a ton of credit because I went back and looked at the replay. He does mm-hmm. a fantastic job uh, winning his route. You know, was able to sell, I believe it was uh, his def- his defender inside, was able to get mm-hmm. that separation. And Tommy DeVito delivers a, a ball on time downfield when he needed to and sets it up for uh, Randy Bullock to go out and, and, and hit this game winner. And, and those are the kind of throws you need your young quarterback to make. You need to make sure that you're not putting a lot uh, on his plate, like you uh, going back to what you talked about earlier, that coaching staff, making sure you're able to ease a quarterback like this into the game, put him in good situations. That's uh, really impressive. And I think a lot of lessons to be gained moving forward. Yeah. And I think leaving DeVito aside, whether he's going to be the starter in you know the next few years or not, which I, I don't think he's going to be, but you know, there, there is a lot to like about sort of some of the young players on this roster and where they could be with maybe a better quarterback or a more significant quarterback in the years to come. Andrew Thomas has been back for a few weeks and the offensive line's been better. They were good against the Packers tonight. Really no pressure 
on Tommy DeVito throughout this game. Zero sacks on DeVito. Um, I believe he was knocked down twice in this game. So relatively quiet uh, pass rush for the Packers in this game. Robinson has 79 yards and six catches. Jalen Hyatt only had 13 yards, but had had a couple nice plays. Um, he's looked better. You know, he, he he started to show that he can be a guy who can be a difference maker downfield. Um, you mentioned, of course, Thibodeau on defense. Jante Banks, their first round pick um, from this season, who's, who struggled a little bit. He was being asked to do a lot, you know, playing corner for Don Martindale who loves to blitz, loves to put his corners in difficult positions. He had 12 tackles in this game, a tackle for loss, a pass breakup. Um, you know, but, but like there's the beginnings of a core here. I don't know that they're one quarterback or one player away. They still have to figure out if they're going to bring Saquon back next year. Um, but 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 I think there's a positive, there, there's positive signs here. You, know, you could sort of sit here and say, okay, like, I can imagine those guys and Dexter Lawrence and a couple other players. Maybe we have a good draft next year. We get Daniel Jones back. I don't know if Daniel Jones is going to be the guy in the long term, but maybe they get a quarterback who they're more confident in. Like, like there's a lot to like here. And even if this season has not gone the way the Giants would have hoped, at least you can feel like, okay, we have a decent core and we have a coaching staff that's going to get our players to play you know, hard late in the season with nothing to play for. I, I think those are all positives to take away from what's been a frustrating season on the whole for the Giants. Yeah, I I, th- I couldn't agree more. I think you you see some young players that that have played uh, even tonight. You know, had showed some showed some flashes. And you know, Deontay Banks. You talked about that pass breakup. I thought that he had a a heck of a play late in this game. You know, he had a uh, Samori Toure and, and Jordan Love. You know, he got a little bit of heat on the broadcast for maybe throwing this a little bit late. When you mm-hmm. look at what he was trying to do, it looked like he was trying looked like a a, a two high shell from the uh, from the Giants, and he was trying to look off that safety and get a one on one matchup. And, and Deontay Banks does a great job of closing the, the distance while the ball was in the air and breaking up a potential touchdown. I thought that was a, a massive play for a rookie mm-hmm. uh, to make. And, and those are the kind of things that if you're a Giants fan or if you're on that coaching staff, you can hold on to those kind of plays that say, you know, like you said, we have some nice pieces that we might potentially be able to build around. Obviously the big question is going to be, you know, the Daniel Jones factor of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, is he the kind of guy you can really build a playoff contender around? And obviously, you know, they gave him a second deal. Uh, but that being mm-hmm. said, when you look at the level of quarterback play around the league, you know, it is something where you see these teams that make deep runs. They have a, a difference maker at quarterback. And is Daniel Jones that guy? Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, like you said earlier, if you uh, if you subbed in a, a, a if you said that, that Daniel Jones secretly had suited up in a Tommy DeVito jersey, uh, number one, I do think that the large contingent of DeVito fans and family <laughs> members who were in attendance, they would have immediately spotted this. But otherwise, <laughs> uh, they might have been able to get away from it. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a lot of big questions there. But so far, a, a, this is a this was a really fun win for a Giants team that, that like you said, has had a, a lot of, you know, issues and, and not maybe had the year they would have hoped, especially with this Jones injury. Uh, mm-hmm. Two things I do think we do need to point out. Uh, Sean Stilato, the, uh, the, the agent for Tommy DeVito, ultimately mm-hmm. the MVP of the whole night uh, in his podcast. <laughs> Apparently we learned he is going in the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. Here wow. The, which I did not know anything about. He's being inducted uh, later on this week. Uh, so it is a, I learned a lot about that. Also, I did not know that chicken cutlets were an Italian dish because really? as an Indian person, I am fully aware that beef cutlets are in cutlets at, as a whole are part of our cuisine, but I did mm-hmm. not know they were part of the Italian cuisine as well. So I learned a lot of interesting facts tonight, Bill. This is really surprising to me because I, I grew up, I, I'm Irish Italian. I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in New York. Like having availability of chicken cutlets were like like just second nature. Of course, everyone knows what a chicken cutlet is. It's actually been really shocking to me to see that other, that, uh, you know, NFL fans who live in other parts of the country, you know, are not necessarily American, um, do not know chicken cutlets, do not know about cutlets. So it's very exciting on top of that to hear, Ben, that cutlets are a big part of, of Indian food as well. That That is a surprise to me. Um, it, it's really been such a fascinating situation. Like I, I, I tweeted something this week and I think 
you know, I'm just being a dumb on, on Twitter because there's no reason to be smart on Twitter. But, you know, just contrasting the Jets and the Giants, who both won this week. But, you know, the Jets, it feels like every week is just such a, a bummer. Like, they had such high hopes. The Aaron Rodgers injury happened. It feels like every week is dramatic. The defense is playing great. The offense is terrible. They're furious. Um, you know, they had to beg Zach Wilson to come back and play quarterback last week, and he had a really good game in the second half, so credit to him. But just such bad vibes around the Jets for most of the season. You flip it. Like, the Giants are having fun. Like, I don't remember, even last year, I, I can't think of a Giants team that was this much fun to watch and root for with Tommy DeVito at quarterback. So, you know, I, even in a, a lost season, I think it's been really cool to see Giants fans rally behind Tommy Cutlets and that unique situation. But you need to talk about the Packers side of the situation as well. Packers, like we said, you know, winning streak, feeling great about themselves. Bandwagon is teeming with new people and they lose to the Giants. So Ben, just in terms of the big picture for the Packers, where they were, you know, where it seemed like they were heading, how much of, of, of sort of the bloom is taken off of the rose for with, with this loss relative to how good they had looked the prior three weeks? Yeah, I, I think it's not even the aesthetics that that are impacted here. You look at the the, the tangible impact of this loss. You know, mm-hmm. uh, looking at the numbers that from ESPN, and and this will probably change overnight, according to our stats and information, folks. But had the Packers won, uh, their playoff chances were would have been at seventy six percent. What they wow. lost, they're at forty seven percent. That's almost a thirty percent mm-hmm. difference. So there was a lot at stake there in. You know, you were hoping if you're, you know, looking at this Green Bay team, like you said, had built. If you, if you're a big believer, and I think uh, that in season momentum, when you, when you are inside the locker room, when you talk to guys, that is mm-hmm. very much a thing. You know, I know a lot of people will, will kind of poo-poo the idea of momentum being an actual concept, mm-hmm. but when you talk to players, it is definitely something they can feel on a week-to-week basis. And and you look at what the Packers have done, beating some mm-hmm. quality teams, and and for them to go out and lose to this Giants club. And as much fun as it is to, for if you're on the giant side of things to be mm-hmm. pulling behind Tommy DeVito as a Packers fan, you absolutely do not want to be losing to a guy nicknamed Tommy Cutlets on Monday Night Football. Uh, when you have a quarterback that you're hoping takes the leap and, you know, and for the offensive performance to really be as frustrating as it was for most mm-hmm. of the night up until the very end, I, I think that's probably the the more concerning thing when you look at it and just the frustration you saw from Matt LaFleur uh, over little things here and there. And ultimately, uh, you know, I think if you're a, you know, you talked about the Jets and the Giants and kind of that that paradox. I think when you when you look at it, it really boils down to how much confidence do you have that this is maybe going in the right direction. And, and with Tommy DeVito, you you have a, a nice distraction from the reality of maybe mm-hmm. having to think about that. But if you're Green Bay, if you're uh, the Jets, you, you very much are trying to figure out, is this thing really headed in the right direction? And that's obviously been, you know, it, it's funny that Aaron Rodgers is in the middle of both of those discussions, you know, either with the Jets or when the Packers moved on and said, all right, let's see what we have in Jordan Love. And have they seen enough so far? You know, you, you saw him building over the last few weeks. And, and I thought, like I said, in, in key situations in this game, I thought he had some really nice throws, but mm-hmm. th- there is some luster that has been taken off. And now you have to see kind of where they're at and, and where they stack up in the NFC, which is, which is still pretty wide open. I definitely do not think that it has the, the caliber of, of teams that the AFC has, but uh, yeah, I, I do agree with your point and, and your premise that th- there is, uh, you know, the, the bloom has been taken off, if you will. Yeah, and I think something that really stands out to me, and it's a good thing in a way with Jordan Love, and also maybe a thing that is is worrisome about their this season for the Packers and their chances of making it to the postseason. Did kind of feel like they missed Chris Christian Watson in this game. I think he's their best downfield receiver. I think he's the receiver that other teams are scared of the most when it comes to coverage. I think he creates opportunities for the other receivers in this offense. And you look at at Jordan Love's numbers in this game, he had one, two, three, four, five, six receivers uh, between 20 and 32 yards receiving in this game. The one exception was Tucker Kraft, the tight end, who had a 43-yard reception um, as part of a four-catch, 64-yard game. And then A.J. Dillon had a 35-yard catch. So none of the wide receivers with a catch of longer than 20 yards. And I, and I think it's cool 
and and promising to see Jordan Love finding open receivers, going through his progressions, and you know hitting different guys in each play. There's nobody who, you know, the opposing offense or opposing defense can sort of lock down and say, okay, this is the one guy we have to stop. Maybe the way that you know is the case with the Dolphins and Tyreek Hill. But it does sort of feel like without Christian Watson, who was not around early in the season when the Packers struggled on offense, without Aaron Jones, who, who has not played for several weeks, um, who can be a threat in the passing game as well, does kind of feel to me like the Packers are, are missing that guy they can count on in, in those big situations, that guy who you know they can trust athletically, he's going to get open, who you know Jordan Love can can really implicitly look at and say, okay, like that's my Jamar Chase for Joe Burrow. And you know, obviously, we're not going to relitigate the Devontae Adams trade. I think it, it happened for different reasons. But you look at this roster, and this is the youngest receiving core. I believe it's going to be the youngest group of wide receivers and tight ends in, in modern football history. Wow. And, and you know, you, I guess I, I just sort of watched this game, and I thought, man, if they just had Devontae Adams, they just had a number one receiver it would be so much smoother for this offense. And I think you, if you're the Packers and you're hoping to make the postseason, I know you can't rush a guy back from a hamstring injury, especially when he's missed time already this season with the hamstring injury. But man, it would be so nice to have Christian Watson back for the final few weeks of the regular season. And if they do make the playoffs into the postseason as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great point that you you made when, when assessing kind of what love looked like tonight. And, you know, going back to what we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast with what's going on in Miami and kind of how my, that Miami, Miami offense looked when Tyreek Hill wasn't on the field. I think one of the things that we've seen across the NFL over the last couple of seasons, I think front offices have fully understood the importance. You know, I, it, it's, it was the case for, for several years, but really you need to surround these quarterbacks with quality pass catchers and guys who can create separation, guys who can win and guys who quarterbacks can trust in these tight situations and when you need them to go win a route, when you need to go mm-hmm. to keep play, you, you you're confident that if they're in a one-on-one matchup or you feel like they're going to have a good look that you can throw the ball in their direction. And at least something bad isn't going to happen. And there's a good mm-hmm. chance they're able to go make a play and make a difference down the field. I mean, we've seen that, you know, you referenced the Jamar chase, Joe Burrow connection. I think when you go back and look at Burrow coming off that ACL injury in 2021, you know, he had a lot of confidence that Jamar chase was down there somewhere and he would throw it up and, and he would have a, a really, you know, something good was bound to happen. And, and you look at last year in, in that game, uh, the AFC championship game uh, between Kansas city and the Bengals, you know, he, he could trust that Jamar chase or T Higgins was going to be able to bail him out in a, in a tough spot. And for a quarterback, you know, that is huge. That's a massive asset to have. And that's why you've seen a lot of teams, not just have one good receiver, but try to give them two quality mm-hmm. options. Uh, because defenses are so good now at taking away one guy that you need to have, you know, if, if teams and, and Jamar Chase has talked about this a ton and that when T Higgins isn't been on the field, you know, defenses are able to, to cloud or bracket or throw double teams in his direction and leave the other receiver in a one-on-one matchup. And you have to trust your quarterback to go make that throw. And is he going to be doing that with a replacement receiver and not a guy mm-hmm. that he really feels confident in? And so going back to your point, you know, I, I think having Christian Watson out there does make a tangible difference for this Green Bay offense. And it is a great asset for him, for Jordan Love to have, and, and you would like him to be on the field. And and like you said, I, I wouldn't want to rush him back uh, with these soft tissue injuries are always tricky. And you want to kind of look at this thing long-term, uh, but, but that would be a great evaluation to have at the end of the season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finishing up here with a little bit of Monday news. You talked about maybe rushing someone back or not wanting to rush someone back. One piece of news that came out that I want to just hit on very briefly before we wrap up here is out of the Chargers camp and related to Justin Herbert, who um, injured his index finger on his throwing hand during Sunday's 
game against the Broncos. Just a brutal loss to the Chargers in every single way. Probably knocks them out of the playoff hunt at five and eight. Justin Herbert um, is going to get surgery tomorrow. Chargers said we're going to wait and see whether Herbert is able to return based on the surgery. But with four games to go, Ben, including a game on Thursday night against the Raiders, is there any reason for the Chargers to bring Justin Herbert back this season from your perspective? Absolutely not. I think you can say that without a shadow of the doubt. There's no business for Justin Herbert to be on the field because, quite frankly, the Chargers have a lot that need to be figured out, uh, whether he's out there or not. And, you know, when you look at how this season has gone for them and really all the questions around Brandon Staley and whether, mm-hmm. A, he should have been brought back for 23 and, and if he should be back for 2024, I think – you, you look at the positions that, that the Chargers have been in over the last couple of years. And, and if you're the Chargers, I just, and you're Justin Herbert right now, I, I think you just don't know what the future of this franchise looks like. Obviously, if they, if they move off from Staley, who do they decide to bring in? Do they, do they go get an offensive minded coach to help bring Justin Herbert along and, and really tap into the potential that a lot of people have seen since he entered the league out of Oregon. And, and you know, I thought Staley had a, you know, made a great point while he was uh, at the podium today on Monday and said that, you know, all of the team's focus has to be on his future and his long-term future, whether Staley's going to be the guy coaching him right. or not, you know, you've got to protect that asset. If you feel like he's uh, somebody who can really be your franchise cornerstone uh, moving forward. And so there's no reason right now that the, the it, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, a lot of people believe he can be a championship level mm-hmm. quarterback right now, this chargers team, whether he's on the field or not, it is far from being a championship level team. So you want to make sure that Justin Herbert is healthy. You're not sustaining any unnecessary damage and he's able to be ready when you feel like this franchise is ready to compete and we'll see what they do this off season. But there's just so many questions about the chargers that it makes it, it it almost be malpractice for Justin Herbert to be back on the field at the end of the season. Well, the good news, Ben, is that the chargers would never commit any element (laughs) of medical malpractice. (laughs) Absolutely. No, of course not. I mean, what in their history suggested they would do something like this? Never, never would happen. But you're 100% correct. I agree wholeheartedly. But Ben, where can people check out your coverage of teams who are trying to compete for a playoff berth, even with out their starting quarterback for the rest of the season? Yeah, you know, I am still currently floating around on Twitter at Ben underscore baby. It's funny. I texted you and said, I'm really not on there much anymore. And then I just happened to be on there throughout <laughs> the week. But I really am spending most of my time over on Instagram at bbaby41 and then on threads at bbaby41. So I'm floating around the internet in various spaces. And then obviously on the ESPN.com page uh, on the Bengals tab. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting finish. I did not expect the Bengals to be a, to picking things up and making my December and potentially <laughs> a very interesting, but apparently this is the year of uh, backup quarterbacks balling out. We've got Tommy DeVito, uh, doing his thing in New York and having some fun. We've got Jake Browning apparently not knowing how to hydrate and still uh, winning games <laughs> uh, for the Bengals. So hopefully he gets uh, his fluids in him because, you know, the Bengals have some very winnable games and this AFC, the bottom of this AFC race is going to be very interesting to watch. And, and we'll see who represents this conference in the Super Bowl this year in Vegas. It's, it's really a fascinating race with, with four games left to go for these teams. Ben, you know, it's a blast having you on. Thanks so much, my friend. Thank you, Bill. And we avoided all cricket talk, so I think we should be applauded for this. By the way. <laughs> That's a, a totally separate podcast. That's the third episode of the week is, is, is Bill and Ben's cricket conversation. Awesome. Right, just let me know. I'm right here when you need me. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much to Ben Baby for hopping on. Two really interesting games in their own unique ways. I wouldn't say the highest quality football, but dramatic. You can certainly say for the end. Hope you guys enjoyed the games. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And we have Mario coming this week. As I mentioned, we have two shows a week between now and the end of the regular season. So we'll have our usual midweek show on Thursday morning, but rest of the way out every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning, new Bill Barnwell show coming to your feed. Thanks so much for listening and more on the way later this week.